Hello everyone and welcome to Energy Explored. This podcast covers the challenges of achieving a carbon neutral global economy, cutting emissions of gases and pollutants and setting up new energy systems. Join Reed Smith lawyers and guest speakers as they shed light on the most important trends in emissions control and new fuels. Tune in as we follow the ever-evolving journey through the transition of energy. Hello, this is Yves Malin from Reedsmith in Brussels. Welcome to Energy Explored, Reedsmith podcast channel that examines the challenges of cutting emissions and setting up new energy systems on the way to a carbon-neutral global economy. Today, we are presenting the European Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism that the European Union is currently adopting and which will come in force very soon. I'm Yves Merlin, as I said, partner in the Brussels office of Reed Smith. I'm a trade and customs lawyer specializing in all the issues that our clients face when bringing goods across the EU and the UK's borders. And as you will discover with this podcast, the CBAM is one of the latest and newest issue that companies will face when they bring goods into the EU. So me, the trade and customs lawyers, customs lawyer, uh, Wim, why don't you introduce yourself in a few words as well? Sure, Eve. Nice to meet you all. My name is Wim Vandenberg. I also sit in the Brussels office. I am a EU product compliance and regulatory lawyer. So I will look at products and sectors which are highly regulated in the EU. And of course, all kind of requirements from a safety, health, environment, protection view are very important. And that's precisely where you know, CBAM falls under as an environmental measure. I mean, we can talk about, you know, with Eve, you know, later on, whether it's an environmental or a tax measure. But yeah, that's my practice. So, Wim, why don't you explain in a few words what is the, the CBAM, the purpose, the architecture, so that our audience understands what we're talking about? Sure, Eve. I mean, CBAM as such is not an entirely new concept. You know, it was already floated some years ago by some national jurisdictions, France in particular. It does exist, but in a very limited way in California, actually. But it's, it has a super narrow scope. It only covers import of electricity. But in the EU, it's a, it's, it's a relatively kind of new idea that when the Commission last year proposed the CBAM regulation but again because you know it, it, it's it's new as a legislative proposal but it's not new as a concept you know the countries have been talking about it really from the perspective of trying to price carbon that's always been a, a long time goal of the eu certainly under its uh, emission trading scheme the ets so what but what cbam in particular is trying to do not just you know trying to price carbon, but it's also kind of addressing what we call the risk of carbon leakage. And that's a, a certain kind of phenomenon when companies are moving their manufacturing production facilities from the EU and they're moving that abroad to avoid precisely the cost of complying with you know very strict environmental standards in Europe, for example, on emission trading and, 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 and so on. And then there, or alternatively, of course, is they're importing very cheap, but, you know, more like carbon intensive foreign products from outside of the EU. So it's really trying to tackle 
that kind of phenomenon of carbon leakage. And just so you know, there are already systems in place in the EU, specifically under the ETS, to deal with carbon leakage. And that's why, you know, domestic producers here in Europe, they get a certain amount of free allowances in those, you know, carbon intensive industries. We're talking mainly about, you know, steel, for example, that's a good good example there. So there are mechanisms in place, but the EU, of course, wants to have that level playing field, you know, really kind of almost across the globe, you know, the EU is always trying to be that kind of global rule setter and is now also looking at manufacturers that are based outside of the EU to really kind of, you know, have their products or at least, you know, less carbon intensive products being manufactured outside that are then being imported into the, uh, into the EU. So that's the whole setup. That's the goal of CBAM. What it really is, it's really targeting a few sectors which are going to have to surrender what we call CBAM allowances or certificates, very similar to what you would have in the emission trading scheme as well. And the target sectors are, at least for the time being, five emission intensive trade exposed industries. So it's going to be imports of cement products, fertilizers, iron and steel, aluminium and electricity. So those are the kind of the sectors that we'll start off with. But again, I mean, it's the the aim and we'll certainly see that later on, you know, where the product scope is is probably going to be enlarged to to cover even more products. I I think I, I just touched on it already, actually, you know, saying that a lot of the times, you know, people are saying it's not a it's not a tax. And I was just wondering, you know, there was a lot of debate in the beginning also whether this was going to be WTO compliant. And I just want to have your views on that. Yes, thanks, Wim. Uh, indeed, it's important for the EU to say that this is not a tax, because if it's a tax, it's more difficult to have it approved in by the EU institutions. The Council, for instance, needs to approve taxes by uh, unanimity, while if it isn't, if it's an environmental measure, it's only a majority rule. And it's more difficult to justify a tax under the WTO than it is to justify an environmental measure. Well, I won't go into the details. So... Having said this, in my humble opinion, this is a tax in all but name, because practically there's no difference. And here's what I, I think so. The way that the CBAM is designed is by, for the CBAM products, and you, you, you gave the list of what those CBAM products will be, uh, that's a list that is likely to grow quickly. First, because when the text is final, the, the, the other institutions of the commissions are probably going to add a few more a few more product lines, but further down the road, it's likely that downstream products are, are going to be included as well. Otherwise, there will be carbon leakage in those sectors, and that, that makes no sense. So when you have a CBAM product and you wish to import it into the EU, uh, as for all imports, you make a customs declaration, and if you're covered by the codes, then in addition to custom duties and VAT, sometimes excise duties, there will be the obligation to have and relinquish CBAM certificates. And the default position will be you have for this type of product, you must give those these amounts of CBAM certificates. There will be a number of mechanisms in the way the CBAM is, is designed now in its draft uh, form. There will be possibilities, a uh, number of them, to for, for foreign producers, rather for their importers, to provide evidence showing that 
the amount of CBAM certificates to give should be lower than the default value, for instance, because no or less than the accepted level of greenhouse gases emissions were emitted or are embedded into the products. But the default position will be you must pay it. So, in effect, it will be a tax. Also, and interestingly, uh, since it started as a tax in the mind of the EU, and let me say a, a word or two about this. When the CBAM was first proposed around two years ago, it was at the time when the EU borrowed close to 750,000 billion euro as part of this its post-COVID stimulus package. And there was a clear link there in the discussions between the need to generate new resources for the EU in order for the EU to be able to repay this massive sum of money that it borrowed for the first time jointly for the EU. And they were, it, there was even the figure of around 30 billion euro a year to be made from the CBAM. So it started as a, as a tax. The first blip that we saw on the, on the uh, institutional radar, radar was a document coming from Taxud, if you remember, Wim. And so Taxud is the division, the department in the commission, which is in charge of customs matters generally and, and uh, generating resources for the EU. So this is something that we always remembered. And when the first proposal, the, actually the, the text that is now being discussed by the EU's legislators, when the text came in July of last year from the Commission, it was obvious that this was drafted by the people who are actually the customs and duty people in the Commission. It's, it's full of references to customs concepts. And so in practice, long story short, while it isn't a tax from a legal point of view, arguably, in effect, for uh, traders and operators, it will, it will be a tax in all but name. I've mentioned, Wim, the, the, the proposal of July and the, the fact that the co-legislators are working on it. Why don't you say a few, a few words about the, the timeline and uh, when should we expect to have a CBAM regulation finalized and a CBAM certificates to be payable at the border? What are the current expectations? Yeah, Sharif. Well, I mean, this is going, the CBAM regulation proposal is, is really going kind of through the legislative procedure at, at high speed, you know, certainly for kind of Brussels standards. The proposal was published last year, July 2021. And already now, so just one year later, we got both the co-legislators, so that's the European Parliament on the one hand and the Council on the other hand. The Council is kind of the assembly of all the EU member states. So both co-legislators already adopted their respective position. And what is going to happen now, that's part of the kind of ordinary legislative procedure, is that they're going to enter into what is called, and, and apologies, there's a lot of jargon here, trilogue negotiations. So it's essentially negotiations between the European Commission, the European Parliament, and then the Council of the EU. That's going to happen in, you know, September when, you know, all of them are coming back from their summer holidays. And then the expectation is that it's probably going to be, the text is probably going to be adopted sometime in the fourth quarter of this year, you know, October, November. That's the timeline we're looking at. There's still a couple of kind of, kind of contentious issues to be ironed out between the parliament and the council because they do differ on a couple of points, notably the product scope, for example, the the parliament, which, by the way, is always trying to be kind of quite ambitious in a way and not always industry friendly, but the the 
The parliament is proposing to broaden the scope right away. So to also include, for example, chemicals, polymers, plastic. The council doesn't agree uh, with that broadening of the scope. Likewise, for example, the parliament also would like to have not just direct emissions of the manufacturing, but also indirect emissions included. Again, the council there, which tends to take a more industry favorable approach, disagrees with also including indirect emissions. So there are a couple of those, you know, contentious issues that they'll need to find agreement on. But it's really, you know, just those points, you know, on on the idea, on the concept uh, of CBAM, you know, both the council and the parliament are backing that. So there's, it's certainly going to be adopted and most likely uh, it will be adopted in in October, uh, November. So assuming that happens, then the CBAM regulation would enter into force beginning of next year, 2023. There is going to be a transitional period. So the transition period essentially is where for a couple of years, the EU importers of the kind of CBAM-concerned products will have to comply with CBAM reporting requirements. So really kind of reporting, you know, what is the carbon content of the goods that you're bringing into the, into the EU. But they will not yet have to purchase CBAM certificates in, in that transitional period. Again, I mean, there's, you know, the proposal, I believe, of uh, the Commission was to have a transitional phase between 2023 and 25. But again, the Council and the Parliament, who ultimately, of course, have the final saying on this, they do disagree on that. So that's something that we'll have to wait and, and, and see. So kind of a very short timeline, if you look at it like that, you know, proposed last year, going to be adopted this year and then enter into force next year. That's a bit the timeline, Eve. And I was just wondering if, you know, going back to the point on, because we see the EU now being very active with CBAM. I think I already mentioned earlier that some other, you know, countries around the world are looking at it. You've got California, but you've got also the, the US itself that is uh, looking at possibly adopting at the federal level, like an equivalent regulation. I believe Canada has an interest, the UK as well, some other countries. And I'm just more wondering overall what, you know, what do you expect in terms of the reaction of some of the EU's uh, trade partners? We, we know that it has provoked already a lot of reactions, mainly negative ones, because it's always seen a bit as a kind of a protectionistic measure. But I'm just wondering, you know, your view on that. Yeah, thanks, Wim. So the reaction of the EU's trade partners has been overall quite negative. They see the CBAM as a tool, or at least as having the the effect of making their products uh, more expensive on the EU market. As such, the EU's international trade partners are watching this file very closely. Let me give you some context on how the, the CBAM came to play in the EU and in its broader international context. So in 2015, the members of the United Nations reached an agreement on reducing emissions in the Paris Climate Accords. And there, even though the, the, the accords are not binding, and there is a commitment by the members of the UN, United Nations, the UN, to reduce significantly their emissions. And the EU has decided to treat this as binding for itself. And as far as its domestic market, the EU market is concerned, domestic binding for others as well. And I don't remember 
for those following the climate files, the UN has yearly COP conferences. I think it's Conference of Parties. That's what COP stands for. The one in 2019, I believe, was in Madrid. And at the time, the EU said, okay, we are willing to engage with our uh, partners here and finding a multilateral negotiated solution to reduce emissions in a binding way. And it was very clear then that no one was interested in agreeing on binding targets. So the EU immediately after that decided to go ahead on its own with its own measures. That's the CBAM. The EU is very keen not to be breaching the WTO discipline. And so there's, there's been a lot of back and forth in the EU European Parliament. None of it was public, but lots of thinking in the Commission about how to justify a CBAM under WTO. There's a strong view in the Commission that this is legal, supported by, by the Council and the Parliament. Legal, I mean, compatible with the WTO. Um, and now the EU is going to impose its measures and broad brush uh, WTO compatibility requires to the, the CBAM to have an environmental objective, here the reduction of, uh, of carbon emissions, and not to discriminate. These are the, uh, the two blockbuster requirements. Lots of, <laughs> lots of things to unpack under those two, two requirements, but that, that's, that's essentially uh, what the WTO requires from the EU. You shall not do something on imported goods which is discriminating against those, those goods compared to what you are requiring from your own industries uh, and what you're doing must be justified for the protection of the environment. And this is how the EU is approaching this now. We expect that the EU will be brought before dispute settlement uh, body of the WTO by some of its trade partners, just to see also whether it, the architecture and the, the, the impact of the CBAM on imported goods can be mitigated there. I don't think well, these, these disputes take a while. The dispute settlement body doesn't have an appellate body anymore. So for those countries that, for most countries of the world, it's not possible to have a final uh, decision by the dispute settlement mechanism of the WTO confirming that the EU is breaching its obligations. It's different from a, a small growing list of countries that have agreed with the EU to have a, a specific dispute settlement mechanism. I'm, I'm, maybe too detailed there, but it will take a while before we have the EU losing in the WTO. And all the while, the CBAM will be adopted and will be enforced. So to summarize there what, what third countries think and do, what we've seen is uh, lots of engagement. So we, we see delegations from uh, foreign capitals come to Brussels now, many of them, to uh, explain the type of emission mitigation measures they have and to have to try to have those measures understood by the European Commission so that when the CBAM is in force, those uh, measures of third countries are recognized and uh, can be taken into account so that exports from those countries are not hit by the CBAM. Uh, other countries are having a more pragmatic approach. I mean, pragmatic is maybe not be the right word, but Recently, I was in the Middle East, and one of the, um, uh, the officials there told me, and it's quite, quite interesting and impactful, I think, as well, to hear it said like that. We have three objectives when it comes to carbon emissions. First, we want to decarbonate. Second, we want to protect the welfare of our citizens. And third, we want to be energy independent. And these three objectives 
we are going to push together at the same time. And when you think about it, the EU probably is going to do exactly the same thing. It's not going to impose the CBAM if it means hurting the welfare of EU citizens, that is killing jobs or making products too expensive, or if it's going to mean that the EU uh, is hurting its energy independence. So I would expect the, the EU to continue with the CBAM, to listen to the objections and concerns of third countries, and adopt a CBAM which is likewise not hurting the welfare or energy independence of the EU. Wim, what do you think is the concern of EU industries today about the CBAM? And more broadly, what do you think should companies and industries do in Europe and abroad to prepare for the CBAM? Well, I'll, I'll try to give kind of like some short-term and long-term actions for companies to take. The, the first point is that CBAM regulation is going to kind of lay down the overall design of the CBAM framework and, and the concepts and the high-level principles. But as always, certainly in EU legislation, kind of the devil is in the details. And if you look at the CBAM regulation, there's going to be a lot of what is called delegated and implementing acts that will be adopted after you have the CBAM regulation in place. So those regulations are essentially of a more technical nature. They are sometimes decided a bit like in a back room, not always very transparent as well, but they're critical. You know, there'll be, I mean, one of the kind of most important delegated implementing acts that will be adopted is going to be about the methodology on how you're going to calculate the carbon content in your product. And that is key, right? Because that's going to be deciding the kind of the overall amount of CBAM certificates that you will need to acquire and pay for in order to have your goods products being sold in the EU. So that's important. So one kind of short-term action I would say there is that companies are really, even if CBAM regulation is adopted in October, November, it's almost like the real work is only starting then so as to give input to the EU institutions, in particular the European Commission, on how those technical regulations, implementing regulations, will look like. I think, Eve, you mentioned already, you know, that DG Taxut is in the driving seat. Of course, you know, you've got DG Environment working closely with them because, you know, uh, it is, of course, about regulating emissions and, and climate change. So it's going to be very important to have a dialogue with those uh, departments within the European Commission and and. And actually, uh, some weeks ago, the European Commission published a call for participation in what is called an expert group. So very often to start, you know, drafting those um, implementing regulations, the Commission is putting together an expert group. So they're chairing that and then they have representatives from all the EU member states that are a member of that. And then typically they also invite, sometimes on an ad hoc basis, that could be EU trade federations, you know, representing, say, you know, the steel sector or the chemical sector. But it could also sometimes be individual companies. And in this, you know, context of CBAM, of course, kind of third, you know, foreign-based companies are going to be really implicated here. So they certainly, I mean, that would be one of our recommendations is that they try to give their input when those technical regulations are being drafted. 
I mean, we had a chance also, if you remember, you know, right before the summer break at the end of June, we put together a, a kind of a round table with a lot of high level stakeholders, again, of, of industry federations that are going to be impacted by CBAM as well as some individual companies. And it's really, of course, it depends a bit on the company in which sector they are. Are they only or mainly EU based or are they, you know, based in a third country? Obviously, you know, that will kind of decide or, or that might change a little bit their, their viewpoint about CBAM and, and what they want to do about it. You know, where are they going to push back or, for example. But the overall kind of, I mean, what we heard a lot was that companies and federations, a lot of the sector, which is very carbon intensive, has been already on the road to a more kind of a, a carbon friendly or, or a, a decarbonized trajectory. And they've taken a lot of actions. One that came up all the time, for example, was the introduction of hydrogen to, you know, as an alternative fuel to do the manufacturing. And so many companies are kind of wondering, you know, are those projects and initiatives that are very capital intensive, you know, how can we make sure that that is being kind of calculated into our efforts, you know, for decarbonization so that, you know, whatever CBAM certificates we need to buy, that this is also being taken care of or taken into account. Um, so there, there was that, you know, some other, you know, federations were making the point that, of course, CBAM is really kind of focusing on, on the upstream part of the, the value chain, whereas to have a real kind of decarbonized industry, you would also need to look at downstream sectors and, and, and certainly also at the impact that CBAM will have on those uh, downstream uh, sectors uh, as well. So these were a bit the overall comments. The other kind of recommended action, and that's a bit more longer term, but again, I think you said it earlier, if you know, it could change very quickly, is to always keep in mind, you know, always keep an eye out on the possible future inclusion of your sector within CBAM. Again, there's there's going to be a, rev, a revision mechanism to decide on, you know, which products are going to be in scope kind of for the next round. So I think, you know, the, the first couple of years, maybe one or two years, it'll be more about gaining experience with the practical operation of CBAM. And once that, you know, we've, we saw, again, we saw that with the ETS system as well. You know, you start kind of, you know, relatively moderate uh, in the first phase, but then very quickly you broaden scope. So I would certainly recommend to uh, keep an eye out in case that scope is being broadened or it's proposed, you know, to, to be broadened uh, uh, as well. And again, I think the, the, the other point that I mentioned earlier is, you know, some of the projects and, and initiatives that companies are taking at the company level to decarbonize, again, and that's relative in, you know, for example, in drafting the technical regulations on how do you calculate carbon content, it's going to be important to have those taken into account and, and like on hydrogen projects. And that actually, Eve, it just reminds me, that brings me to the next point. Know, there was a lot of talk about hydrogen, you know, during our, our roundtable session and and more kind of broader, of course, you know, because we see with the war in Ukraine, a lot of the kind of the impact on, on energy, uh, energy security, uh, of course, as well. And I'm just wondering if you have a few there on, on maybe, first of all, you know, is this going to slow down, you know, the, 
the enactment of CBAM, or do you think it's just going to be business as usual, if I can say it that way? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that the EU will do nothing that will jeopardize its ability to secure energy at the at whatever price, basically. That, that's the, the urgent situation we are currently in since the war and the uh, increased difficulty of getting Russian gas. So there would, there would be nothing in the immediate future, in the next few years. But if you... You explained the timeline earlier. In any event, it's not meant that the CBAM should enter into force before a, a few years. And I think that the CBAM, that the war is making the CBAM more likely. Because picture this, you're an Indian steel manufacturer. And then all of a sudden, because the EU won't buy Russian oil and gas, you're buying cheap oil and gas from Russia. Therefore, your steel is cheaper. And then you start exporting it to the EU, emitting a lot more greenhouse gases than the typical uh, steel producer in the EU. The EU will want to tax that or to offset the carbon emissions embedded in this Indian steel, just to take my example, and use that money to help the EU become greener and generate more green energy. And the green energy, nuclear plus green energy, so nuclear, solar, and wind plus hydroelectricity, these are the only way for the EU to become independent from an energy point of view in the long term. And so taking money from imported goods, benefiting from cheap Russian gas, or that, that's the current example, but I think it's going to last for, uh, for quite some time. And the, the same would be for China or any other countries in the world having access, unfettered access to Russian energy. And taking the, the, the taxing the imported goods that are cheaper because of that at the EU's border, take the money and finance the green transition in Europe is the obvious thing to do. So in my mind, the war makes it more likely that CBAM will be adopted and that more products will be covered to make sure that foreign production is not benefiting from the access to cheap fossil fuel to which the EU industries uh, have no access. So I think when this is what we spoke for around 30 minutes on the CBAM, we could speak for three days, I think. It's such a fascinating topic. Thank you for listening to, to us. I hope you, you, learned, you learned something listening to Wim and me. Please tune in to the next uh, podcast in the series. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Energy Explored is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McCardle. For more information about Reed Smith's energy and natural resources practice, please email energyexplored at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and ReadSmith.com. And our social media accounts at ReadSmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.